And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I am among the trees, writes Mary Oliver, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness that I would almost say that they save me and daily. I'm so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world but walk slowly and bow often. But around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches. And they call again, it's simple, they say. And you too have come into this world to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. This is one of my favorite poems by Mary Oliver, and it often comes to mind whenever I find myself in awe of some of the beautiful trees here in Louisville. We are in no short supply of them, are we? We were back in Texas, but not here like the beautifully colored ones that line Grinstead at the edge of Cave Hill Cemetery each fall, or the ones that fill Cherokee Park with their bright colors of orange, red, and gold, or the beautiful dogwoods and red buds that bloom with this almost magical pink and purple blossom every spring. Today's text from the book of Psalms invites us to pay attention whenever we are among the trees. I love how Nan Merrill imagines this psalm, which you will find on the front of your worship order today. She writes, Blessed are those who walk hand in hand with goodness, for their delight is in the spirit of love, and in love's heart they dwell day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water that yield fruit in due season, and their leaves flourish. In all that they do, they give life. And so I love these images, both from Mary Oliver's poem and Nan Merrill's psalm, of trees that are firmly rooted, surrounded and sustained by all that they need to be filled with light and to shine. Because they remind me that we too are surrounded and sustained by all that we need to do this too. We have everything we need to do what God is calling us to do and to be the people God is inviting us to be. Yet far too often we just don't take the time to become grounded, to plant ourselves by streams of water that would bring us life. 
Jesus puts it this way using another tree analogy in John 15 when he says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Now, on a first read of this text, we might think that the thrust of this passage is for us to go out and bear fruit. After all, that's what good branches do on trees, right? But if we look carefully, we will notice that nowhere does this text call us to go and bear fruit. Instead, the challenge we are given in this text over and over again is to abide, In fact, the word to abide actually appears eight different times here. Now, of course, bearing fruit is important. It's an outcome, but it can never be our starting point. And it's as if Jesus knew we would get confused about that. So he repeats the word abide over and over again in this text to help us understand. Like the teacher who keeps repeating the instructions over and over again in hopes that their students might finally get it. The question is where and how and in what ways do we really abide with God? There was a fascinating article in the New York Times a few years ago, and it was entitled this, Do Your Friends Actually Like You? (laughs) Needless to say, it caught my attention. And it cites a study in which people are asked to rank different people in their friend groups on a five-point scale, measuring the closeness of their relationship. One being, this person is an acquaintance, but I don't really know them that well. And five being, this person is one of my very best friends. And what was interesting about this study is that people's feelings about the level of their friendship were only mutual about half of the time. While people expected those feelings to be mutual 94% of the time. So, for instance, someone that I may think of as a very best friend may only see me as an acquaintance. It's kind of terrifying if you think about it. And the Enneagram 2 in me is now second-guessing whether anyone likes me at all. But the findings of this study were actually very consistent with data from friendship studies conducted over the past decade. In studies with more than 92,000 subjects, the reciprocity rates between friends ranged from only 34 to 53%. Ronald Sharp, who is a professor at Vassar College, responds to this study by noting that people are so eager to maximize the efficiency of their relationships that they have lost touch with what it means to be a friend. The notion of doing nothing but spending time in each other's company has, in a way, become a lost art among us. He says, replaced by only tweets and text messages to one another. But friendship is not about what somebody else can do for you, he says. It's about who and what the two of you become in each other's presence. 
And so as I pull this article back around to our text, I can't help but wonder if the same might be true about how we relate to the divine. If our relationship with God is merely transactional, focused on what God can do for us, or what we can go out and try to do for God, or is it about creating and living within a divine friendship? Is it about who we can become in God's presence? Have we lost the art of doing nothing but spending time in the company of God? Friends, what does it even look like? What does it look like for us to plant our feet wherever we are and to abide with God? Now, at this point in the sermon, you might be thinking, Mary Alice, all of this sounds nice. But we are, we are Highland Baptist Church, where we seek to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And today is our first day of being back together as a church after having been apart for almost two months now. So reading poems about trees and talking about friendship, well, that sounds really sweet. But really, we've got work to do as a church, and we've got to get to business. And I wouldn't disagree with that statement. I shared some of this in a sermon a few weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating on this first day back together. We do have a lot of work before us as a community of faith. We are preparing to say goodbye to a beloved staff member among us next week, Perry Dixon. And as we bless Perry Next Sunday, as we begin to think about another staff transition, we've got work to do to help care for our youth and their families, to support our staff, and to discern together the best configuration of a ministerial team to help lead Highland forward in the days ahead. And then we are engaging in conversations about reparations, no easy task. Asking ourselves how we have been complicit in, benefited from, or participated in racist systems and structures, and if we as a church are ready to participate in some kind of work of helping to bring about repair. This work is hard and holy, and nothing about it is easy. And then we are preparing to begin a significant capital campaign for much-needed building renovations so that Highland in this space can continue to thrive at Cherokee and Grinstead, can continue to be a welcoming space for all who enter our doors for years to come. You'll be learning more about that this afternoon. And then on top of all of that, we need to figure out how we as a church can fully and faithfully re-emerge from covid We have this incredible opportunity before us and this incredible responsibility before us to discern and imagine and dream together about what Highland will be like in a post-COVID world. And so we have our work cut out for us. It's on our to-do list and it's in our email inboxes right now, or at least I know it's in mine. And I don't know about you, but, but I can feel it too. In fact, I can feel it in my shoulders a lot of days. I just instinctually went there just now. (laughs) I can feel it in my gut. As we've been reading White Too Long together, I know many of you have used that same language with me. I feel this in my gut as I read these pages. 
I feel it in the headaches I get after I've been staring at my computer screen for too long or after we've had a long day of meetings. And the fact that we can physically feel the weight of this work that we have been entrusted to do. Well, perhaps that is precisely the point that I'm hoping to make today. And that is that if you and I aren't taking time to center ourselves, to firmly plant ourselves in the spaces where God has called us, if we're not seeking to show up to the work as the very best versions of ourselves that we can be, as the people God is continually calling and creating us to be, then we're not going to do much work at all, Highland, but the work is going to do us instead. Lauren Jones Mayfield, Nancy Goodhue, and I had a Zoom meeting this week with a minister from First Church Cambridge in Massachusetts. First Church has done some groundbreaking work in anti-racism, and last year they created a reparations fund. And so Lauren discovered this and wanted for us to learn from them as we continue to go about this work ourselves. And ask Lauren, our conversation was incredible. It, it felt like we were drinking from a fire hose, learning from a church that may be a few steps ahead of us in their work. And it encouraged us and challenged us and inspired us in so many ways. But what we took away from the conversation wasn't quite what we expected. You see, they shared that um, First Church had asked one of their own church members, a young black minister in their community named Carlisle Stewart, to serve as their community minister of racial justice to help lead them forward in their work. And so they wrote this giant grant to help fund their work together. And everyone got really excited because they thought that Carlisle would come and hit the ground running and begin to help them plan their next steps for activism and social justice work. But instead, Carlisle did something that caught the whole church by surprise. For his first year on the church staff, Carlisle didn't lead the church to do anything at all. Instead, he led the church through a weekly mindfulness and meditation program that he called a call to return. Because, Carlisle said, before we as a church can do anything of significance related to racial justice, we have to ask ourselves how we are showing up to this kind of work. He knew that the outer work of anti-racism has to begin within us. Because mindfulness, Carlisle said, paves the way to liberation and joy, both for ourselves and for the systems in which we operate. He reminded them that the work of racial justice doesn't make much of an impact if we are not being transformed in the process. And so how do we get there, Highland? Perhaps it is by continually hearing the call to return to God as Carlisle taught his church. Continually hearing this conversation to abide with God, to plant ourselves by streams of water, whatever those streams may look like for us, so that we too may bear fruit in due season and so that all that we strive to do may bring life. You see, Highland, I realized this week 
that as I looked up at the words etched in our stone walls, the first verb isn't to do, but to be. Before we can do anything at all, we are invited to be. And being has to come before doing and not the other way around. I believe our friend Thomas Merton knew this well as a Trappist monk and community activist. He pointed out that there is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, and that is activism and overwork. To rush and pressure are perhaps the most common forms of this violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to give in to this sort of violence. Because the frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace, he says. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which seeks to make our work fruitful. It's why Sally Evans and I have been exploring with you on Wednesday nights the very things that sustain us, that bring us life physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and how we might go about making these practices part of the rhythm of our day-to-day lives. All of this work goes together hand in hand, and we can't do one without the other. And so this morning, I would like to invite you to really imagine with me about the streams of water that bring you life. Where or when is it that you experience such hints of gladness that you might almost say that it saves you and daily? It might be among the trees, or it may be along the Big Four Bridge or the edge of the Ohio River. It may be right here within these very stone walls. It may be over the first sips of coffee you take in the morning before the rush of day begins. Maybe it happens when you are on a walk or a run as your feet hit the pavement and everything else fades into the background. Maybe it happens at night as you reflect on the day's events and seek to calm your mind and soul. But the question is, how and where and when do you intentionally take time to abide with God? And to allow love's presence to abide with you. Because the good news of today's scripture passage is that when we abide with God, I believe that this friendship is always mutual. Not 53% of the time, but 100% of the time. Today's text is a promise that no matter what happens, no matter where the road takes us, and no matter how messy it becomes, even when other friendships fail and comforts flee, there is a God who is already and always faithfully abiding with us. The question is, are we fully and faithfully abiding with God? Among me the trees stir in their leaves, and they call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches, and they call again. It's simple, they say, 
And you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. May it be so, Highland. Amen.